thought, you know, every gift. That was beautiful, wasn't it? I want to welcome you all to Springbrook for our celebration of Christmas Eve. We're so glad you came, whether you're a regular tender, you're a guest, came as part of extended family, or just heard about the church and said, I want to check that out. Or, it's so great to have you, and we hope you really enjoy this time together. I want to talk about waiting this afternoon. Waiting. A lot of people are waiting. For example, ladies, I want to thank you for everything you have done to make Christmas possible. All the traffic and the shopping and the cleaning and the baking and buying all the presents. I always used to be surprised when I got my children on Christmas morning. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. But waiting. Waiting. In fact, let's give our uh, ladies a hand. Let's thank them, huh? And be sure to thank them throughout this time. It's not their job. Remember that, Okay. It's not like it says in the Bible, the ladies shall prepare for Christmas. And we had our men's challenge, and we said, hey, guys, help out your wife. Women, how many of the guys really stepped up? I see your hands. All right. Well, you know, there's still time right after this service. Get home around 430 or whatever, and you can help all night long. <laughs> how many of you men waited to buy the Christmas presents that you were responsible for until this past week. Have any hands on that? Of course, that's normal behavior <laughs> for men. And kids, it's great to have you with us this afternoon. And I know you've been waiting to open all your presents tonight or, or tomorrow. Uh, maybe you, some of you have trouble sleeping because you're so excited that Christmas has finally come because you've been waiting for it. We're going to talk about waiting this afternoon. And, you know, many of us received our Christmas gift earlier this year. When the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, all right! That was my, how many consider that a great gift? All right. The Sox fans are going to get coal in their <laughs> sockings. We're talking about a man named Simeon, one who's not often talked about in Christmas, but really is a very critical part of the Christmas story. Read now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So, we assume that Simeon is a priest, and he was righteous, which meant he was saved by his faith. His faith in God, that there would one day come the Messiah, who would be the true sacrifice. 
waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word means comfort. Not a beautiful thing when you think about Jesus Christ. He, he came to comfort us. He came as a baby. I mean, what a way to come. Just not to scare us, I suppose, right? Yeah. And then he lived his life perfectly and fulfilled the law. But just the fact that uh, Simeon was waiting for someone to comfort him. And if you don't know Jesus, I hope you find him tonight and you can experience the beautiful comfort that comes. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, that's unique. After Christ's resurrection, when people uh, repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit actually resides within you and empowers you in your Christian life. Back in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only come on people for certain reasons, for certain times. And this is another illustration. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So that was very special. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this is amazing. This is from our archives. Uh, actual pictures from that day. But maybe this is what Simeon looked like, right? I mean, he was told, Simeon, before you die, you are going to meet the Messiah. And the Jews have been waiting for over 2,000 years for the Messiah to come. But they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, this one man gets the early release. He's coming, and you're going to see him. Imagine that. Nobody else knew that at that particular point. I mean, he might have been like 40 years old when the Holy Spirit told him, and maybe he was 80 when, again, he met the Messiah. Think about that. He's going through the, the temple courts every day. And he's saying, is this the day? Is this the day? Now, he didn't know exactly what the disciple, or excuse me, what Jesus would look like, whether he'd be a baby or teenager or man. I mean, he really didn't know. So he was looking, looking and looking. But he knew, of course, that he was going to see the Messiah. That'd be like me saying, I know the exact date. When Jesus Christ is going to return. And you'd think I'm crazy, right? Well, that's what people thought of Simeon probably, right? When he shared that story, I don't know how many people he shared it with. But Simeon, you've lost it. <laughs> All these priestly duties that put you over the edge. Luke 2.22, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This tells us a lot about Mary and Joseph. Again, there was a ceremonial system in the Old Testament. And when you had a baby, you became unclean. And after 40 days, you could go back to the temple and become clean and worship there. Again, a lot of things made you unclean, and uh, that was part of the system. So they were going to the temple to dedicate the Messiah as well as for this purification, according to the law of Moses, brought up to Jerusalem to present him 
to the Lord. Now, the law. Let's talk about the law. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. We've talked about that recently, how God always wants the best. He always wants what's first. He wants you to dedicate that to him and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It also tells us about Mary and Joseph, that they were certainly law-abiding, and they loved God, and they were always doing the right thing in regards to the law, in terms of things like this. But they brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Again, you could bring a lamb, which everybody brought a lamb pretty much, but if you're really, really poor, then you could bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And a lamb wasn't considered a luxury back in that day. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ is born into a peasant family. And he's a peasant, right? Furnaces and carpenter, carpentry work and... But that's just, there's so much to that. I can't say a lot about it right now. But that's how he chose to come into the world. He didn't want to come in and call a big rally in Jerusalem. He came quietly. He came quietly. And that's what we're celebrating tonight. Now, this is Moses. Charlton Heston. But uh, this is Moses, and he has the law. So after... The Israelites were saved from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and then they went to Mount Sinai, where Moses was given the law, and it was much more than the Ten Commandments. Okay. <laughs> A couple of books in the Old Testament committed to what the law is about. And it was so detailed, and you really had to follow it carefully. And the purpose of the law, though, the reason that God gave the law was not that the Jewish people would be able to follow it perfectly. It was to teach them that God is holy. And there's no way that they can keep all the law. So it made them aware of that. Then there was a sacrificial system that was built in to their faith which foreshadowed the fact that Jesus Christ was going to come. In fact, John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who was proclaiming the fact that the Messiah was coming. And when he first saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. That, that's the most important thing you could think of. Who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came for a purpose. Now in the Old Testament, uh, they would sacrifice lambs, especially at the time of the Passover. Remember, again, when the Egyptians uh, were ruling over the Jewish people. And they were in slavery. And, and the plagues came, and the locusts and the frogs and... 
all different types of things. But the last plague was the angel of death. And God warned everyone, you should sacrifice a lamb and paint the doorposts with its blood. And if you do that, the, the firstborn is not going to die. And the firstborn was very important. And, of course, the Egyptians did nothing with that information, but the Israelites did. They sacrificed a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. There have been other sacrifices before this, but it just brings uh, to focus how important a sacrifice is. And we'll talk about that. But again, when you talk about the lamb, that lamb was just a temporary fix, one might say. As people express their faith in God that he would save them, they know it would be something different in the future, but not the lamb that they were sacrificing. But who was the sacrifice then? Of course, it was Jesus Christ, right? Everything in the Old Testament foreshadows the fact that Jesus Christ was the lamb. Because God is a holy judge and he can't have a relationship with sinners, which we all are. So somebody had to pay the price for our sin. Because if nobody pays the price, we're going to spend an eternity in suffering. And God doesn't want that, and nobody wants that. So Jesus Christ, God himself, came down to this earth, kept the law perfectly, fulfilled it, so he was a representative for us. And then he was crucified on a cross in order to be the sacrifice that satisfied God's justice system. And uh, that's what we're celebrating. The first part of that, and of course, Easter, Good Friday, and the resurrection. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Maybe you've heard that verse before. And that's true. We all have sinned. We might be pretty good people. We might think we're pretty good people. But our heart is a heart of sin. And if we really honest with ourselves, it says, yeah, I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've fallen short of the perfection that God requires for me to be in relationship with him. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the penalty that we deserve is an eternity with suffering. But God didn't want that, so he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for us. And all we have to do is to believe that and repent of our sins and believe and repent in Jesus Christ, and you'll be able to become a Christ follower. The free gift of God, this is so important, as I've shared the gospel over the years, I found the areas that I've been pastoring in, Works is always the one issue that comes up. People were brought up in, well, really all the religions, except Christianity, is about being a good person. Right? Doing your good works. Uh, in fact, I was talking with a young man this past, this past Tuesday, I think, at Panera Bread. And uh, we were talking about this kind of stuff. And I said, have you made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said, well, yeah. 
are you still depending upon your good works? He said, well, yeah. I said, that's a problem. (laughs) You don't truly come to Christ until you say there is nothing that I can do to earn God's favor. Nothing. Because you see, we're sinners and he has to solve that problem and we have to respond to it. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I love that verse. Christ came down to suffer for our sins, to pay the penalty, and only had to happen once, right? Just one time. You had all those lambs in the past. But just once Jesus Christ had to die for us and rise again, that he might bring us to God. That's why Jesus Christ was born. He was born to die. That's what he came for. He came to pay the price, the penalty. He came to give his life. Why? In order to bring us to God. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I can't stand up here as a pastor and say, well, I'm an easy shoo-in for heaven because I've worked as a pastor for many years. (laughs) I'm dependent upon the same Savior as you are, right? You know, we all need, we all need to be forgiven by God. And He wants to do it for us. It's a gift of God. Let's say tomorrow, you kids, open your present. You bring it to mom or dad. You say, okay, how much was it? I'm going to pay you. Has that ever happened to anybody? (laughs) It's a gift. You don't pay for gifts, right? And it's the same with The offer that Jesus Christ makes to us. And we want to say, no, 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 you know. uh, I'd like to do something for it because we're prideful. We don't want to be in the same boat as everybody in this world because we're a lot better. Well, we're pretty much in the same boat because we're heading the same direction if we're sinners. And pride is the greatest obstacle to the gospel. No, I think I can do it. I can be better than other people and therefore God will save me. And, of course, many people have been talking taught that from their birth. But again, it's not true. Now again, works come after you become a Christian, for we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Yeah, we're going to do good works. Do the natural manifestation of our love for Him. But it's not required. Okay? Once the Holy Spirit comes into you, He fills you with a supernatural desire to want to help people, to want to serve people. To want to be in relationship, a close relationship with God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Luke 2.27. And he came in the Spirit. Now, this is the day that he was going to meet the Messiah. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And the Spirit was guiding them. I mean, the temple area, the grounds outside. You can go inside the temple. Uh, but there's a court for men and a court for women, that type of thing. And so it was huge. I mean, there were thousands of people milling around at this time, worshiping 
on the temple grounds. And again, you have Simeon, who was just one priest. Imagine there were many priests. Again, I don't know how the system worked, but I think it says here, came in the Spirit into the temple at the exact time when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So he's going to go through the purification and the dedication ceremony. But the Spirit was all over this. So you know, he'd been looking for, I assume, a long time. And all of a sudden, the Spirit spoke to him and said, Today is the day when you will hold the Messiah, when you'll meet the Messiah. How exciting that would have been, huh? So Simeon must have been, I mean, surprised and shocked. I mean, can you remember? I don't know how long he knew, but I, I assume it was a longer period of time. And he had been looking and waiting, looking and waiting. And then the Holy Spirit said, today. Can you imagine how excited he was? See, the Holy Spirit told him he was at like 40 and now he's 80. He's been looking for 40 years and all of a sudden he wakes up and today is the day. Simeon, when you are going to see the Messiah. You can imagine Simeon holding that baby and uh, just overcome with emotion because he's been waiting for Jesus, right? Waiting for the Messiah. And he goes on. This is the prayer that he prays. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He says, that's over. <laughs> I'm going to go be with God. There's no reason to stick around here anymore. We're sticking around for this day to meet the Messiah. And it happened. I, can't, I just can't imagine the emotions that he experienced after how, who knows how many years he waited. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen. So he's saying, I've seen your salvation. I've seen the Messiah. And he said, okay, I'm ready to go. The beautiful thing about being a Christ follower in this age is we are witnesses to what God has done over the last 2,000 years. Right? How Christianity has always continued <laughs> to thrive, even though everybody tried to kill it, everybody tried to wipe it out, wipe out the Bible. It just couldn't be done because he was the Son of God. And this was a good news that needed to be shared with everybody. And that really is what our church is all about. We are on mission to share to people about Jesus. I have a Jewish friend, and I talked to him this past week. And I said, now, are you guys still expecting the Messiah to come? And he said, well, yeah, 
We're expecting a person to come into this world. Again, there's different branches of Judaism. But uh, we're expecting Jesus to come into this world, not Jesus, but the Messiah, and that he's going to bring peace. (laughs) We've all just been kind of shaking our heads in the last couple of months over the headlines around the world and saying, I don't think peace is going to show up naturally. See, the Israelites missed their Messiah. They rejected him because they were expecting that the Messiah would come and overthrow Rome, who was occupying Israel, and that it would become a great nation again, and that it would claim all of its land again. And here you have this guy named Jesus who was born into a peasant family. He said a lot of things that didn't seem like the Messiah. And he was crucified. That's not our Messiah. No, no. Our Messiah is much different. They missed it. There were only like 120 believers at the core in the upper room. So, again, you add whatever to that. There weren't that many Christ followers. People who really said, yes, this is the Messiah. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Again, in the Old Testament we see God fathering the Jews. They were his people. When Jesus Christ died and rose again, the Jews didn't want anything to do with it. So God offered it to everybody. People like us. Gentiles. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, you can just imagine Mary and Joseph's life. You know, one surprise after another. I mean, it was kind of like an incremental type of revelation. And they heard, obviously, from the angels and uh, the shepherd's experience and what different things. But Simon gives them new, Simeon that is, gives them new information. He said, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. What does that mean? Well, that means that Jesus Christ is the great divider. He's the great divider in the world. He was the great divider back in the times when he was here on earth. Because everybody has to decide who is Jesus Christ. Three things. He could have been a liar. You know, he said, I'm the only way to father. He could have been a a liar. And he he could have been just a lunatic, right? I mean, somebody who claims to be God, if they cannot show it in any way, that's a problem. Uh, Or he was Lord. You see, you can't sit on the fence and say, oh, Jesus Christ, he was a good teacher. No, he was not. He lied to people or he was crazy or he really was the Lord. And every one of us are going to make a decision about who we think Jesus Christ is before we die. And friends, obviously, my heart's passion and this church's passion is that you would embrace the gift of God. To embrace Jesus Christ. So, 
It was going to divide Israel. I mean, again, people really responded uh, like over the top to Jesus Christ because that's the one decision that everybody has. And so they rejected him. They crucified him. That's really rejecting him, right? Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising. I mean, some people will respond and say, yes, that is a Messiah. And for a sign that is opposed. You know why people get a little bit nervous when you talk about Jesus? Because he's the real issue. Right? He is the issue. You know, someone like Mary looked. And this Jesus was there with Simeon. And then he said to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts for many, from many hearts would be revealed. And of course, we thought many times about what Mary went through to see that her son was ridiculed and just persecuted in so many ways, beaten, of course, the crucifixion. I mean, moms, can you imagine that scene? Your child being crucified. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Maybe that's the first time she heard bad news about <laughs> being the Messiah's mother. And thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. When it comes right down to it, if you talk to a person about Jesus, it's going to reveal where they're at. In fact, I talked to my Jewish friend about Jesus. And he said, I, I really don't want to talk about it. In fact, if you're a Jew, you don't proselytize. Okay? You're just a Jew. You want to encourage other Jews to be closer to God. So it's odd when I talk to my Jewish friend about it, and he gave me a signal that, no. And I knew that was probably the case, but you have to try, right? Because Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, he said it. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that is the verse that rattles so many people. Because again, we want to be open. We want to respect other people's religions. Everybody has a different way to God. Just let them go and do their own thing. No! Jesus is the only way. That's why we're here. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we continue to, to persevere on so that more people might hear the gospel, the good news of Christ, and experience what we've experienced. Again, you have to make a decision about Jesus. He was not a good moral teacher. Never say that again. If... Uh, you want to refer to him in that way because he was a liar or a lunatic, one of the two. He was not a good moral teacher. I want to bring out Andy Suarez, uh, one of our guys who wants to tell you about his journey to Jesus. Hi, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I grew, up, um, I grew up in a family. We were a loving family. Uh, we went to... We went to church probably about once a year. 
Uh, we went to a Catholic church. Uh, my mom would say that we were Catholic. I guess we were Catholic because she went to Catholic school when she was a kid. So that makes us Catholic somehow. Um, and as I grew up, we really didn't have a lot of uh, church going. I didn't really have any instruction about God. And um, so he really wasn't present in my life. I really didn't see a need for him to be in my life. Um, and as I, as I you know, got through my teen years and even got into my 20s, um, you know, I was really about me. Like, if things good were happening, it was me that was doing that. And if bad things happened, it was my fault that that happened. And um, I really just didn't see a need for God. Everything was going pretty good. I was a good guy, um, had a good salary coming in, had a pretty good life. And so um, I just really didn't see a need for that. And uh, then I met my wife, Rebecca, and uh, she also didn't like God. Not didn't like God. I should say didn't believe in God. And um, that was cool because we were compatible in that way. <laughs> and... Um, uh, we got married, and in, uh, after getting married, we were talking about how we want to raise our kids, and we ended up talking like that we wanted to raise our kids in the church because the church really has good morals and ethics that they teach kids. And I'm like, well, that's good stuff to put into kids. And as we were talking about this in this conversation, um, we were talking about some of the Christians that we know, um, you know, in our in our circle because we had friends that were Christian, we had families that we knew that were Christians, and it was just really interesting that these people were always very content. And so we were talking about the contentness of Christians. We knew people that had lost their jobs and they weren't like, woohoo, I lost my job. But they were kind of like, I lost my job and that stinks, but you know, God's going to take care of me and I'm going to rely on him and I'm just going to keep looking for a job. And we have people that their family members died or they got cancer. And we just really noticed that Christians really kind of took this stuff and they were like, it's okay, God's with me. And so we decided that we were going to start investigating that and take a look at why these people that seemed pretty crazy and putting their faith in some invisible man that they talked to, um, why they, why they seem so content. And, um, you know, this whole time, uh, I would say probably since the late 90s, um, I had a bunch of people that in my life that were always speaking into me. They were always spending time with me. Um, they were uh, going, they were asking me questions about God, or I was asking questions about God, and they were answering those questions, and we were talking about the Bible, and we were talking about, you know, well, why is this this way, and why would God do this? And um, they always spent this time with me. Um, doing that kind of thing, and they were planting these seeds. But it wasn't until we had made that decision to kind of seek out God that God showed up. And it was just so, in retrospect, it was just so interesting that God was just waiting for me to reach out to him and to to try to come find him. And he was there immediately. And so in 2007, my wife and I um, asked God into our lives. And, of course, he said yes, because he's God. And... uh, he put the Holy Spirit inside of us, and just it's been it's been great ever since. And so we had all these people around us during this process, but it really was that seeking, that, that taking that extra step to go find God that finally kind of started everything in motion. Um, one of these guys, uh, it was my best friend actually. His name is Ryan. He's I would have called him at the time a super Christian, and uh, <laughs> um, Ryan was Ryan was all in with Christianity. And I remember I lived in Chicago with him, and we were running. We would run sometimes at night, and so we were running down um, by Lake Michigan, right off uh, between Lakeshore Drive and Lake Michigan, and we are running on some paths there. And I remember talking to him, and he's like, oh, there's this girl that I like, and I'm not sure if I should start dating her or something, and I've, I've asked God about it. I'm, I'm waiting for him to answer. And I remember looking at him and going, what? What are you talking about? Like, you're crazy. And... I'm like, what do you mean what you're asking? He's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what God has in plan for that. And I just, I remember thinking at the time, like, I love this guy. He's my best friend. We did everything together. But I was like, man, this guy is drunk the Kool-Aid. He is completely in and this guy is crazy. And um, I remember him, he looked at me and he's like, you just, you just don't understand because you don't have, you don't have, the, have that relationship with God. And 
it, just, it makes me think about those times where people say you don't understand. And um, like I remember growing up and like I'd say something to my dad like, Dad, why don't we buy a swimming pool and go to Disney World? And he's like, well, it doesn't really work that way. And I'm like, Dad, why don't you not work during the day and just stay home and play games with us? And he's like, no, oh, it doesn't work that way. And I remember um, I was going to be getting married and I was like, oh, marriage is going to be great and stuff. And people were like, well, it's going to be, you know, it's different. Marriage is different than just dating kind of thing. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. And then I got married and I was like, yep, it's different. And um, I remember we were pregnant with our first child and uh, I remember going, oh, yeah, that's going to be great to have a kid and we're going to be doing this and that and the other with them. And they're like, people are like, no, it's not going to be like that. You don't really understand it. Um, and I'm like, no, 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 everything's going to be the same. We'll just have a kid there. And they're like, no, it doesn't quite work that way. And I became a parent and my whole life changes, right? And everything's about the child. And it's funny because I find myself doing this now with people where I'm kind of like, you just, you don't really understand. Like I'll talk to somebody and they're getting married. And I'm so happy for them because like, that's their life is going to be changing. They're finding their partner and they're just going to have this person they're going to experience this love and growth with or they're going to have a baby. And I'm just like, I want to cry when I hear that people are having their first baby because it's just such an amazing experience to have that child and how it changes you and how awesome it is to have that. And they'll be like, oh, da, da, da. And I'll be like, I'm thinking inside. I'm like, mm, you'll see, you'll see. You know, I'm <laughs> just kind of thinking that in my head. And so, it, and it, it, but it's with love that I do that. And so it's with love that I say that if you don't have God in your life right now, that like a lot of these things that we're doing and a lot of these things that I'm talking about just probably don't make a lot of sense. Like it probably doesn't make sense that I talk to God while I'm driving or it probably doesn't make sense that I tithe my income to the church and to God because I want to give back to his kingdom. And it probably doesn't make sense that, you know, I, I really just like live to read more about God and learn more about God and listen to podcasts about God and stuff because I want to know him more and I want that relationship more. And so I totally understand from the outside, if you're not a Christian, that sounds crazy. And it sounds like I drink all the Kool-Aid. So I can relate with you in that. Um, you know, it's funny. So I've got two girls, Annabelle and Abigail. And um, uh, my younger girl, Annabelle, she's six years old. And she'll eat anything. Like, she will, she's, she's a trooper. Like, I'll put something in front of her, and I'll be like, Annabelle, you want to try this? She'll be like, mm, yeah, I'll try it. And usually she doesn't like it, but she'll try it. And then my older daughter, Abigail, complete opposite. She, if it looks, if it looks weird or if it's not some of the, you know, she's got pizza with Parmesan cheese, got to be cheese, not, not um, pepperoni pizza, um, you know, macaroni and cheese, uh, honey nut Cheerios, um, spaghetti. There's like a few things that she'll eat and that's about it. She won't go outside of that. And the other night I got a chicken parmesan sandwich from my wife and I went out to a Christmas gathering and uh, there was an Italian place and they had this chicken parmesan. I had so much food I, just, I had to bring it home because I just couldn't fit it anymore inside of me. And I warmed it up the next day and I'm like, Abigail, this is like chicken fingers, you like it. With parmesan cheese, you like it. With red sauce, you like it. It's on spaghetti and stuff, right? And she's like, no, no, I don't want to eat that. That looks really weird. And so I was like, Abigail, I know that you'll like this. This is so good. This, you're going to love this thing. It's like the best chicken parmesan I've ever had in my life. And she's like, no, 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 I'm not eating that. And I didn't want to force it on her, so I ate it. And <laughs> I just want to say, you know, if you're here and you don't have God in your life, God's got this chicken parmesan sandwich for you that he wants you to take a bite out of, Right? And he's got all the good stuff in it that you love, right? He's got love and he's got, uh, you know, forgiveness and he's got, you know, relationship with him where he'll be there all the time for you where you can rely on him. And so if you don't have God in your life, I just want to say to take a big bite out of the God Parmesan sandwich. So thank you. Wasn't that beautiful? It's just like that. You know, you don't understand it 
until you actually actually take that step of faith. And you know, I don't want you to get the impression that we're trying to bully you into becoming a Christ follower. It's just that I believe it's the truth. We believe it's the truth. And we want to tell everybody, and if they get mad at us, fine. That's what happened in Israel, right? Most of the people said, no, we don't want Jesus. And there's the majority of people in the world saying, no, I don't want Jesus. But we keep on telling them about it because we want the Holy Spirit to activate that desire in your heart to know God. So I understand, you know, if you don't agree uh, with the Bible, but I would just continue to look at who Jesus was. That's the question you need to answer. Who is Jesus? I mean, really study it. There's great resources out there. Of course, on the Internet, you've got gotquestions.org, gotquestions.org. It answers a lot of your questions, you know, in terms of different questions you have about the Bible. And there's all kinds of different sites. But start searching. Start searching and say, well, if it really is this big a deal for so many people, maybe I should check it out. Because, again, one day, and if you die, well, I'm not going to decide about Jesus. Well, you die, and it's decided for you. Look, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is waiting for you. Right? God is waiting for you. He continues to call out to you. You've heard these. The message before the gospel message probably is that, oh, that's not for me, or I'll do that later in life. <sighs> you know, he's waiting, but he's not going to wait forever. Now, I always encourage people, man, if you're this close, you have to exhibit faith, obviously, in all this. I encourage you to do that. And uh, if you're, again, just searching, we'd love to help you in that area. This is a prayer for salvation. You were given a little pamphlet when you came in, and you can take that home with you uh, and uh, read that if you'd like. But that kind of explains what I've said in a different way. The prayer for salvation. I say, well, how do I do this? How do I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? How does this all go down? Well, it went down in Panera this past week when that young man gave his life to Christ, realized he'd been working for the gospel. All right? Amen. Yeah. It's exciting. Wow. And again, as I talked to him, I mean, God had been leading him that way for quite a long time. And you're telling me the most important decision in my life can be made at Panera? Yeah. Another guy was at Burger King. You know, anywhere you are, you can make the decision. You know, you, you just get to know other Christ. We're not perfect. I tell, oh, mercy, no, mercy, no. We, we're sinners saved by grace. But uh, we want you to have what we want. And God is waiting. Let's just uh, 
hey, if you're ready, if, you're, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you like he did uh, to Simeon, if you're ready, you can just silently say this prayer. Or you can wait. I mean, just whatever God leads you to do. This is in the back of the pamphlet. My life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn my selfish ways and put my trust in you and not my own good works. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. If you make that decision, could you just email us, give us a call, whatever? Because we would love to help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, it's so fun to teach the gospel. Because I know you're working here today, and some people are just kind of checking it out. I pray they continue to check it out and make 2017 the year that they make a decision about Jesus Christ, whatever it might be. And hopefully, of course, we believe uh, that he is the way. And I pray for those that just made a decision. The angels are rejoicing in heaven over anyone who comes to Christ. And I pray they communicate that or communicate to their family or brought them so we can encourage them to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for waiting.